I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Full Throttle from Eurosport. It is the bike racing podcast. Sorry we're later in the week than usual. Had chats on the phone yesterday with not one, not two, but three Ducati World Superbike riders, two current, one from the past. We'll get into that in a minute. But what a superb resumption to the World Championship we had in Jerez in Spain last weekend. Scott Redding coming through to not one, but two maiden wins in the World Superbike Championship from his very first pole position as well. Brilliant stuff for the reigning BSB champion. Jonathan Ray salvaging something from the weekend with that sprint race. But Scott Redding leading the World Championship now and Alex Lowe's and Chaz Davis both proving that grid position is everything. Unless you're a top rack, of course, and you can charge through from 10th. But I won't go on for too long because we don't have that much time this week. Straight to Portimao for back-to-back rounds on the Iberian Peninsula. And we've got three riders on the show today. We've got Carl Fogarty, the four-time world champion who really did put Ducati on the map in many ways, of course, in the World Superbike Championship. We've got Chaz Davis, who was back on the podium on Sunday. And we've also got Scott Redding, the man himself, who's won those races and leads the World Championship. So we kick off with the new World Championship leader on full throttle this week. Scott joins us now, and I was expecting him to be in Portugal, but I believe you're in Mallorca, aren't you? Yeah, mate. Uh, we just took a flight this afternoon to go over for two or three days to just relax and actually enjoy a bit of the sun and, uh, yeah, enjoy it, really. Yeah, well, what a great weekend, though. I mean, pole position, two wins, one second place, and you reckon you could have won the sprint race as well. It doesn't get that much better than that, does it? Yeah, that's the thing. I was really happy with that and to get the first pole position for me, followed up by a race win. And to be honest, the Super Pole race, I did have the pace for it, but uh, I just got stuck with top rack for one lap too many. Um, but it is what it is. I managed to win the race two, which for me is more important anyway. Um, and to finish the weekend with a high and finish, you know, winning races in them hot conditions is uh, it's helped me a lot. So just how difficult was it? Because you were saying it was a bit difficult to even know where you were, you know, almost difficult to breathe. Was it sort of as difficult as Thailand or Malaysia or close to that? Um, to be honest, race one is the worst um, weather condition I've ever raced and I believe anyone on the grid ever raced in in their career. Um, wow. It was like Thailand on steroids. It's the only way I can explain it. Nowhere. You wow. can't really breathe. It was so hot. You had like the dry heat followed by the humidity and that's what was kind of getting everyone. 
um, going out on the sighting lap and you actually had extremely hot air coming through the leather suit. It was almost like scratching your head, like, are we actually about to go and race in these conditions? And in race one, when I was behind Top Rack and Johnny for over half of the race, I was just getting absolutely cooked behind them, but just kind of biting down and, and doing what I needed to do. I suppose it sort of begs the question, is it safe to be racing in conditions like that? Because that's got to be bordering, verging on a little bit dangerous, hasn't it? Or is that just me? Um, I think it's also one of the hottest races ever recorded. And the problem that I was yeah. kind of talking to other riders about is it's not just one race. Like with MotoGP, okay, it's 40 minutes, a little bit more demanding, but they can hydrate and do everything for one race. We had to do the qualifying, regroup with an hour and a half, yeah. go do a 20-lap race. The next morning, we had warm-up. An hour and a half later, we had a sprint race. Two hours after that, we had a main race. And there's not enough time to get hydration back into your body, and we're not allowed to use IVs or anything like that. So... It was uh, very borderline, but, you know, we are professionals and we'll do what we have to do to be in uh, perfect shape. And were you surprised by the advantage, Scott? Obviously, you've got an amazing setup with the bike and the way you're working with your crew chief and it's a brilliant bike. But were you surprised by the gap to some of the guys further back? Um, I don't know if I was surprised, um, especially after race one, after I saw what the potential was, how I felt with the bike, how I felt in those conditions. I felt really good for those conditions. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it just gave me confidence that in race two, I had the pace to do my own race. Um, and I just had to kind of prove that to myself. There's always that little bit of doubt of, can I, you know, I'm always saying about the tires, I'm scared to push the tires. And I kind of said in race two, today is the day I believe I can do it on my own. Um, and I managed to, to pull that off. So I was really happy for myself and for the team that we've got that under the belt. Yeah, I was actually going through the race times yesterday. And I mean, you didn't, rest on your laurels did you your second race was 7.1 seconds quicker so 0.35 seconds quicker per lap than in race one so you've made more progress didn't you between saturday and sunday yeah to be honest i didn't actually look at the times after actually that's a good point like a lot of people were saying that the pace was faster i personally myself didn't feel it out front i thought i was actually mm. not doing the best i could do i had a few issues with the with the bike um, but actually, when you say seven seconds over a race faster, it's probably why I was able to hold my own on that day. Yeah. I wonder if that was to do with the weather then. Do you think it's just because you were feeling more comfortable on the bike? No, I just had clear track ahead of me. That's the only difference. On race one, I was kind of just trying to weigh myself up and see where I stood in those conditions with them guys. In race two, I just thought, you know what, let's see what you got. And that's what I did for myself. Okay, nice one. Well, look, I'll let you get on, Scott, because I know you're in Mallorca on a bit of a break. So um, good luck with Portimao and who knows, maybe a couple more wins. Well, we'll give it a best shot anyway. <laughs> Have a good one, mate. Thanks a lot for that. I appreciate nice it. That's fine. Thank you. Take care. See you, mate. Yeah, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? 7.1 seconds Scott Redding gained between race one and race two. And that's often what the riders look at, actually. It's not so much the gaps back to their rivals. Of course, that is important, but it's their actual race time. And we've seen over the last few years sometimes that certain teams have actually been underperforming. So sometimes when it seems somebody's going particularly well, for example, Bautista at the start of last year, if you actually look at the race times from Phillip Island 2018 in comparison with 19, Yes, Bautista was dominating, but everybody else was also much slower. So sometimes when you have a domination situation, it's because the others are slower as well as somebody at the front 
being quicker. Of course, we don't have a domination situation this year. And Portimao this weekend will be particularly important for Jonathan Ray. It has to be said, as we said there with Scott, Jonathan's lost a lot of his favorite circuits from the calendar this year. Then again, he is Jonathan Ray and he tends to go pretty well everywhere, doesn't he? Chas Davis is next up then. He's on the line, on the way to Portimao now alongside Leon Camia in the car. So Chas, it's been quite a long time, hasn't it, since you passed and overtook Jonathan Ray and finished on the podium. It's good to have you back. <laughs> Uh, it was a, a good race. I was happy with um, how the weekend ended. I was obviously hoping to get on the podium um, in race one. I felt like I had the, the pace for it. But um, as I said at the time, like, the start and first lap was the undoing of that sort of podium challenge. But yeah, nonetheless, pretty happy with how the weekend went. And um, yeah, it was good to be good to be moving forward throughout the race. And I had a good target as well to try and run down Scott. Um, but yeah, didn't quite have the pace for that. But still, yeah, very happy. How different is this bike feeling to you now, Chaz, in comparison with Jerez last year? It must be worlds apart, surely? Yeah, pretty different to Jerez last year, to be honest. Um, it seems like a long time ago now, because it was last May, so yeah. we're well over a year ago. So the, the bike balance, um, the way we've got it set up will be completely different. Obviously, I've had a lot more seat time um, between then and now. So, um, yeah, it is. it would be completely different. There's, there's certain things that I was really struggling with at, uh, Harris 2019, which weren't an issue this time around. So yeah, we've definitely made some progress. And we've seen again, haven't we, once again, just how important it is to qualify well, because it seems like such an obvious thing to say, but you know, even in a motorcycle race at Harris, it's not easy to overtake, is it? No, it's not. It's one of those tracks, it's, it's quite tight and yeah, there's not a lot of line options. So you have to you know, force the passes, as you saw on the weekend, there's a lot of last minute lunges going on, some good racing for it. Um, but you know, we do have a, a good engine, so that helps us out. Um, and also, you know, I felt like we worked quite hard to, to keep some tyre underneath us and, and work hard on the grip. And that was that was uh, you know, an asset to us as well, because we could at least set up them for the passing opportunities and get a run up on. On I did, I think, a pass on Top Rack and Johnny both in Turn 9 yesterday because I was able to find really good traction uh, out of Turn 8. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. Yeah, that one on Jonathan in particular into turn nine was, must have been a satisfying one for you because it has been a while, hasn't it? Let's be honest. It's been a while since you've been fighting at the front and fighting for podiums and fighting with guys like Johnny. For you personally, it must be, well, a, a big relief, I guess. Well, you say that, but I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know. Maybe people didn't watch the races at the back end of last year, but I was on the podium twice in Qatar and I was on the podium in Argentina. <laughs> That's true. I, I, yeah. Everybody said, oh, well, it's how does it feel to be back? And I'm like, well, at Phillip Island, yeah, it wasn't great. But the race before that, I was on the podium twice. So I mean, that's true, because you, you overtook Alvaro in Qatar as well, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's so long ago that everybody else has forgotten, but I definitely haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's quite funny. What's changed though, Chaz? I mean, is it, you know, is it just the Ducati so much better than everything else? Or is it the setup you guys have got? Or is it just learning how to work with it? I suppose it's easy to forget as well that it was still a new bike last year, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is easy to forget that. And it obviously was working good on the weekend because Scott did the double. Um, I was on the podium and, and Michael as well. Ronaldo was, had a really strong weekend. So the bike was clearly working good in the low grip conditions around there. Um, but I think um, personally on my side, we've made some slight adjustments to the balance of the bike throughout the test in Mizano and in... Um, in Barcelona and 
yeah. that's helped. Um, it's not like a silver bullet, but it has helped. And just baby steps in the right direction, really. I still feel like there's, a, at least on my side, there's um, plenty of room to improve, but it's just trying to find the right way forward, especially now that we're in, we're not testing in winter trying to develop. Like we're, we're in the heat of summer and we need to go racing. So there was a lot of things I wanted to do on the weekend to try and improve the bike, but our package was already quite good. So it was a bit one of those things where you kind of just stop yourself from potentially cocking it up. So my setting is much improved and, and that's helping me out at the minute. Yeah, I remember something you and Scott and Leon Camia were all saying pre-season is that all the riders on the Ducati, well, more or less all the riders at all this year, has that made as much of a difference as you all thought it would in terms of, you know, setting it up, comparing the data and so on? Well, I think that we've had one sort of development on the ergonomic side where they've, um, they've changed the seat unit a bit, which gives a little bit more room for, for us being bigger riders. So I think that's probably the main thing that's changed you know, was a help to, to all of us on the bike. But apart from that, I think everybody's following their own direction with with setup. Um, as far as I, I know, anyway, they've got a they do a ton of cross cross referencing because it's such a it's a personal personal preferences. But um, yeah, I'm sure it yeah. doesn't hurt anyway. What's it like under braking, Chaz? Because there was a few moments watching Scott in particular who was fighting with top rack, and it almost feels just where I where I'm sat. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it almost feels as though because the bike's got such good straight line speed, it's a bit of more of a handful to stop than the other bikes. Is that how it feels on the bike as well? Um, I think there's probably probably some truth in that. Yeah, I, the, it's one area where I'm I'm trying to work on a little bit, and uh, it's always been a strong point of mine is, is breaking and pulling the thing up. But it's somewhere yeah. where I'm still not totally happy. And for somebody who doesn't rely on that quite as much as what I do, then it's maybe not as much as a big, of a big deal. Like Scott, he's probably not complaining about it as much as what I am, but it is one area where I'm trying to work on to um, just to bring a little bit more sort of comfort to the braking area because it is noticeable when you're on track how we're able to pull up and how some of our rivals can, can pull up. And um, I think we can yeah. improve in that area and just get you know, a little bit more comfortable because, uh, yeah, it's not... I think it's... N- we're not so difficult to be passed at the minute. Um, um, yeah, we need to need to work on that. Although looking forward on the in terms of the calendar, I mean, this is looking quite good for you, isn't it? Because Portimao, you've always been sodded at. You've got two Aragon rounds, Chaz. I mean, it couldn't be much better for you, could it? Yeah, definitely a nice nice present. That it's good, but again, it's take every weekend as it comes. Just because I've won there a lot, it doesn't mean that we're gonna t- turn up there and it's all gonna. It doesn't just all into place. You've got a, the competition's really, really, really tough. Everybody's on the game. The season's short. There's a lot of competitive bikes. So it's going to be going to be a fight for sure. Although there's got some good history there. Um, but yeah, definitely looking forward to it. It's nice to it's nice to have a track on the calendar that it does uh, has always been kind to me. So definitely take it. Yeah, and finally, Chaz, what about Portimao? Is it going to be more of the same? Is it going to be just as hard to breathe and cope with the temperatures as it was in Jerez or a bit cooler maybe? Well, I'm hoping the hotter the better by the scenes. We were, we were pretty strong <laughs> yeah. in the hot conditions and physically I felt good as well. So it would be uh, nice to see some close to 40 degree temperatures again, but I think it's going to be a little bit cooler by all, all accounts. They're saying around, around the 30 mark where it was up at 37 in, in Jerez. But um, uh, it's still a, going to be a tough race in any case. Uh, it's pretty, didn't get 
pretty slick around Portimao when the temperature creeps up. And, um, yeah, it's a busy track as well. There's a lot of wrestling. Get the bike around there, around the, the ups and the downs. So, yeah, hopefully we'll um, you know, roll out on Friday with a good setup as we did last weekend and have another go at it. So do you reckon the order is going to be more or less the same or is we going to have a Honda up there or is it going to be a bit of a mix-up again? Oh, it could be anything. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I think the good thing about the championship this year is there are, like I said, a lot of top top riders. I was actually, I think it was before the race yesterday, I was looking at, for some reason, looking at the qualifying grid and just thinking how many championships are on it between national level, yeah. world level, across Grand Prix and Superbike and it's just yeah, it's absolutely stacked and super competitive. So I think I think you can expect anything and different different uh, manufacturers going good in different temperatures and and depending on the characteristics of the track. So yeah, it's all all open and all to play for. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? Oh, just one last thing actually. I know you're with your good mate Leon Camier driving to Portimao. How is he? Because we're missing him. Is he all right? Yeah, how you doing, Leon? How's your shoulder? Yeah, it's all right, mate. He says uh, it's obviously a work in progress thing over the lockdown, but he's um, putting a lot of work to to get it back to 100%. It's just a pretty limited thing to be able to try and test it on a road race bike. It's a different, completely different position, different demands on the on the body. So um, yeah, it just showed him the area that he needs to work in, and then yeah, it's gonna have a go at it and see if it turns out all right. Yeah, good. Hope he's back as soon as possible. All right, I'll let you guys get on. Where are you? Are you nearly there? Uh, we are, yep. We're half an hour away or less. Okay, have a safe drive then and thanks for that and good luck this weekend. You're welcome. Cheers, Greg. Chaz, quick to remind us there that he was actually already back on the podium a few times last year and don't forget he did have a victory last year as well at Laguna Seca in the middle of last season, July last year. Seems weird, doesn't it, to say the middle of last season, July last year, when this one's only just had two rounds and we're already into August. But that's what we've got for 2020. Scott Reading then, twice a race winner already, having won the BSB title last year. You have to think, actually, Scott Reading's really putting his name down here as one of the all-time greats of British motorcycle racing, isn't he? A MotoGP podium man, almost world champion in Moto2, Grand Prix winner, of course, in the junior classes. British champion last year. Could he become the world champion this year? Time will tell. Quick update on the calendar. We had heard from Gregorio Lavia at Dorna that we were going to hopefully have the final, the very final version of the 2020 calendar put out by Jerez. It hasn't yet happened, but I'd expect that to be coming out in the not too distant future. It has to really, because everybody needs to know the travel plans, and also, of course, the competitors need to know how many races are there going to be this year? How many points will be available this season? Chas Davis, in terms of his stats, he's just recorded his 90th podium finish in the World Superbike Championship on the same weekend as Jonathan Ray recorded his 90th race win in the sprint race. But now we go back a few years, I don't think you'll mind me saying that, to Carl Fogarty, the man who, of course, really is Mr. Superbike and still is, in many ways, Mr. World Superbike. Four-time world champion with Ducati in 1994, 1995, 1998, and then finally in 1999 before his career was cruelly cut short in that accident at Phillip Island early in the 2000 season. So I think he's going to sound pretty chilled out. He's got every reason to. Here he is, Carl Fogarty. Well, Foggy, 3rd of August. I think you've just tweeted a picture, haven't you, from 1997 on this day? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, back in the day, on this day, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, seen, I saw the picture. I thought, oh, it's pretty cool. I don't usually do all that kind of stuff, really, throwback surgery and whatnot. I get, I get a bit bored with it all, to be honest. But um, I just saw it and thought, you know what? It's third of August. I thought, yeah, I'll throw it out there. People like the old stuff, don't they? Sometimes, so um, yeah. Yeah, well, I just thought I've spoken to the two current Ducati factory riders, so we should speak to the old one as well. I mean, it's a bit of a—is this going to be a bit of a foggy renaissance, a Ducati renaissance this year? Yeah, the boy's doing well, aren't they? Um, it's good to see Chaz get his act together a little bit. He's, obviously, his teammates grabbed all the headlines, and, and rightly so. Uh, very impressed with uh, with Scott at um, uh, Jerez. Fantastic to see. He's give uh, give Jonathan something to think about, I guess. But um, yeah, all good for Ducati, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, actually, what must it be feeling like for Jonathan now? Because you've had tough times, haven't you, on the Honda year in 96 when you switched from Ducati and, you know, it wasn't the easiest of years. How's he got to cope with this? He's done it before, though, hasn't he? Oh, he'll be fine. He's, he's mentally very strong. He's incredibly fast, very incredibly, incredibly consistent. And, I mean, even last year when I think the Bautista um, yeah. cleared off in the first, wherever it was, nine or ten races or whatever, I, I still kept saying that Jonathan will win the championship. And I still believe that will be the case this year. He's a... Uh, you know, he, he, he's relentlessly consistent and, you know, he's just there. And um, I don't think he'll be worried too much about it. I really don't. Um, he's one of them guys that will think about why they lost the race. I don't, I don't know why. They, he obviously won the, the sprint race. So, you've obviously got yeah. an issue over, over distance. And the, him and his team have been incredible for the last few years. So, I don't see it being a, a problem at all for Jonathan. It wouldn't surprise me if he bounced back and won all three races next time out. I think it's him out, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And he's good there as well, isn't he? Yeah. So I, I think that's an important one for Johnny, though, isn't it? Because he's lost a lot of his strongest circuits this year. He's lost Assen and Qatar and Donington and Imola. So I suppose he needs to make the most of somewhere like Portimao because Reading's never raced there, has he? Well, it'd be interesting. Like you say, it's, 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 I mean, even a lot of my mates who, if I'm honest, they, don't, they haven't really followed World Superbike last couple, for, for quite a while. They've always hit BSB and, and MotoGP, but because of what Scott did last year, they're all excited and oh, you know, ready for way for World Superbike. So it, it's put that interest, mm. um, even from people I know. You know what I mean? Saying, "Oh, I can't wait to, yeah. to watch World Superbike and Scott, big Scott Redding fans, all of them, really." So, um, but yeah, this this weekend is a big test for Jonathan, I suppose. Like you say, Scott obviously he's he raced at a rather a million times before in GPs and stuff. So I'm not sure if he's raced at Portimao before. So if he if he does manage to beat Jonathan, like set at Portimao, then it, that it really will be a something for him to think about for the rest of the season but um, yeah it'd be interesting even you know obviously for me watching thinking I expect him to bounce back and, and probably win if I'm honest with, with Jonathan knowing, knowing, knowing what he's like but if he didn't and Scott got the better of him on, uh, on this circuit then it's um, yeah it'd be a very very interesting year and uh, yeah a little bit a little bit surprising if I'm honest if, if that did, did happen would happen this weekend we'll stop a minute I mean, if we compared that with you, Foggy, let's say you got beaten at Assen, which didn't hardly ever happen ever, did it? But it never happened, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, actually, it did. You know what? I, I, I won some, like, I think I won 12 out of 14 races at Assen. The only two that I yeah. remember is the two that I lost by about half a wheel. And it was, <laughs> I, I had excuses from him both, obviously. You know, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I think I, I got a big yeah. bug, a bug on the visor of one of them. I couldn't see a thing on the last lap, which is a really bad excuse, but it's actually the truth. But, um, that's another story a long, long time ago. But um, but yeah, I think, like you say, you know, if it is one of Jonathan's favourite circuits, one of his strong circuits, and he wants to get beat on this one by um, by the Ducati boys, then uh, yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting, uh, you know, second part of the season. Well, sorry, first part, really, I guess, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it's a weird year, isn't it? Yeah. And how's life been for you? You've obviously got a road named after you now, haven't you? Carl Fogarty Way in Blackburn. Do you drive down there every day? Yeah, I keep going down and taking pictures of myself driving down the road. It's <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing, really. I keep, everyone keeps seeing me on the road saying, oh, shout out the windows of the houses. And, you know, you come down every day, you know, take pictures. So keep cycling down there. Yeah, it's the coolest road, obviously, in, uh, in Blackburn now. Well, obviously, in the whole of England, I'd say. I mean, yeah. what's it like having your own road named after you? I guess a bit surreal, really, but um, no, nah, it's really cool. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, I've lived here all my life. I'm born here. I'm still here. So I think, you know, the air has always been pretty proud of, of what I've done, I guess, on, on, on the track and another thing. So, um, mm. yeah, it's, you know, a few footballers usually get names, uh, roads named after them. So it's nice for, I guess, a different sport that doesn't, doesn't normally get that kind of attention really so yeah it's an honour obviously yeah. there's no better honour than that it's there forever isn't it really but it was there long after I'm done so it's, uh, it's really cool yeah and have you found the lockdown what's it been like actually I've just remembered didn't you you posted an amazing dancing video online a few weeks ago it was, it was the um, yeah I did the Joker didn't I I just suppose uh, what's it called Joachim Phoenix who was in Joker one of the best actors <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen in, in the film to be fair and just re, re reacted the, the dance down the, I don't know I'm just, I just that's what lot does see I'm going crazy on it but um you know what? I've, I've, I've actually enjoyed it. Really. I mean, the weather was weather was pretty much amazing every day. In, in I don't know why it just seemed to be that way in, in April and May. And I was at home. And I wanted to be at home more time, a bit more this year anyway. Really, um, just doing loads of stuff and being outside, outdoors, a bit of cycling on the motocross bike I've got. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I kind of enjoyed it and did a lot of jobs at home. Like I said, just spending time with the family. So um, it, it's, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's a bit different for me. I guess a lot of people struggle with. You know, with obviously we've got a small little house. Uh, you got kids now. It's really hard work. I really feel for them. But um, yeah, where I am yeah. in the middle of the country with, with the land and stuff, it's, it, it wasn't. You know, I couldn't complain. I was actually enjoying it. If I'm honest. Uh, yeah, it was all. It's okay. Are you still watching your reality TV? You know what? I don't. I don't watch stuff like that. If I'm honest. So I've I, I, I watched it the early years, years ago. Um, I've watched it since I went in there. Um, I'm not a big TV watcher and stuff like that. If I'm honest. I'm just kind of. Yeah. Usually in the other room, flicking through channels, sport channels or sort of documentary channels. And uh, yeah, another thing with the lockdown, I kind of discovered um, Netflix and uh, some channels like Sky Atlantic with some really, really interesting true to life dramas on there. I kind of enjoy watching a lot of that. Really, it's kind, of, kind of got into Netflix a bit now. Yeah, like a lot of people, I guess. Uh, go on then. What, what are you watching on Netflix then? Because I'm sure there'll be people listening thinking, I wonder what Foggy watches. Um, I want to be like him. I watched a few dramas. I watched uh, Gangs of London. Enjoyed that. Um, mm. Oh, it's the American one. Um, Oh, not Ozark. Something like Ozark, it's called. Maybe I've got said that wrong. I don't know. That was um, that was good. American one. Uh, White Lines. Um, watched that. And the Witcher. Um, oh, oh watched, you've, you've really, but you've really been yeah, bitten by the bug here, haven't you? In the, back back in like, yeah. sort of April when I was feeling. Well, I had the, the virus obviously back in, uh, as people know, back in in the March, uh, April. So I was a bit rough for a few weeks. I was watching all sorts of, of stuff on TV, like on the Netflix and that. But uh, yeah, quite a few. Good dramas. Obviously, watch the what's it called? Not Lion King, the Tiger King. Where he's called. Everybody, everybody had to watch that, <laughs> didn't they? It's just, that was just unbelievable. Art. <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, words fail me on that one. <laughs> on a serious note, though, I mean, you know, what's it like having the virus? Because it's it's something that's you know it's dominated our entire year for one reason or another. What was it actually like? It's just like having flu, I guess. I mean, you know, you got a bad cold or something. Just slightly different symptoms, but you just feel you feel rough. With me. The three things that for me was I struggled with, but I had really bad headaches, um, mm. a temperature, uh, I was aching in places I'd never ached before, and coughing. So there was three or four things. That were the main things, really. And I kept trying to carry on my life and go outside and maybe wash patio or do something outside. While we're locked. And every time I did, I just 
I felt really bad again. You just got to listen to your body and just rest, really. But um, yeah, um, my wife struggled with it. She must admit, she she had the breathing problem on the on the chest and that, and um, that was a bit touch and go for a couple of days with the coughing and breathing. She was really struggling and on the phone to the doctor a few times. So that wasn't pleasant, but right. she came through. Everyone's fine, and we had the antibody test about oh about five or six weeks ago. Now it came back positive. We both had it. We should kind of knew anyway, to be honest. So it seemed a bit silly having it in some ways, but. Um, yeah, you kind of feel like you've had it now and you feel a bit indestructible if you've got license to go and do what you want, but I guess that's really not the case. To be honest. So I think no one's really that certain whether you can get it again or not, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, but um, feel good now. feel really good. Ah, oh, come on, though. You're Carl Fogarty. You are indestructible, aren't you? God, yeah. Well, I, uh, I didn't feel it when that thing got hold of it at one point. must admit it flat me. Oh, it, just, it just, well, then I just, you know, the headaches and the coughing and you just, you know, you're on, on the sofa just watching TV and, and, and feeling guilty for it, really, but... There's nothing, you know, when you really, you've got to listen to your body and just and, and just do the right thing, really, you know. But, um, yeah, I won't really want that again in a hurry. But, um, yeah, I've been there, done that, as you guess. <laughs> Hopefully, we won't, get, we won't get it again, but you never know, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, well, I'm glad you and Mikado are both all right. That's yeah, we'll find really out, I feel great, to be honest. I mean, I've been doing quite a bit of cycling. Uh, like I say, with the weather being so good in sort of in April and May and even June, I just, you know, I probably feel as fit as I've felt for a long, long time, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's been great in a lot of respects. And just before we go, um, you mentioned to me just before we started recording, on your to-do list is to call Mr. James Witter. Yeah, I've not touched base him for a while. Really. I've just, just I've been away over a weekend up, uh, in his part of the world, actually, near Ripon, at some uh, beautiful place called Grantley Hall. Um, so I just thought, oh, damn, I need to touch base him this, this week. So I've made a little bit of a list, because when you get to my age, you, start, you keep forgetting things. And so if I write him down, I have a bit of a list to, to do tomorrow, and he's on that list to ring. So it'd be good to catch up with him uh, before, obviously, the BSB kicks off this weekend I guess uh, yeah obviously BSB is coming as well what about a Carl Fogarty comeback there because we've heard we've seen Troy Bates has come back Piaggi's come back okay, Fernando yeah, Alonso is coming back Melandri's back when's Foggy oh, back yeah my body just starts to hurt as soon as you may even think about that or even mention it body, <laughs> my knee's killing me my ankle's killing me my shoulder's killing me straight away I think in the head in your head you also you can get on, on and do it but the reality is you can't uh, no absolutely no way <laughs> way way gone for me is all that I can't even get on the back and be comfortable Honestly, three laps around Donington Park I mean agony but position you're in that cramped position you've got to be in to, to ride a suit bike with me and stuff over the years all the injuries I've had yeah. kind of come back now to to haunt me as uh, the old doctors and specialists said they, they would do uh, in later on in life and uh, they're not wrong yeah they were right then in the end so very quickly actually yeah BSB you mentioned you'll be watching that closer I guess that's going to be quite open I think but although Josh Brooks he's got to be the favourite going into it hasn't he he's got to be yeah, I think you'd probably put in slight favourite the way he finished last year, very strong. The cat is very strong. Um, yeah, he's just the maddest, baddest, uh, craziest, um, best domestic superbike championship in the world, isn't it, really? So, uh, mm, looking yeah, forward yeah, yeah. to that. I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see actually Tommy Bible win it. If I'm, I, I don't, I think if I was to put money on somebody like you say, I'd probably go with Josh, but if someone said, Lou, would you like to see win it? I'd like to see Tommy Bible win it, uh, to be honest. I met him last year down at Castle Coombe. Nice walk, so... Uh, yeah, but I've seen him with the cat. Yeah, really nice bloke. We had him in the studio actually for the Eurosport studio for Hereth last weekend, and he's good at talking as well as riding. Yeah, he'd be a nice story, wouldn't it, to see Tommy win it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But um, he's obviously, like you say, it is quite quite open. I think he's about half a second covering about fifteen guys. So on, on the some of them circuits <laughs> race on in the UK, I mean, fair play to him. But uh, no, I watch with interest uh, as, as usual. So I look forward to that. Well, Carl, thanks a lot. It's been really good to catch up as always. Um, you, always entertaining chats. And don't forget to call Whitam and Edwina Curry as well. Edwina Curry, yeah, right. <laughs> Cheers, mate.
So thanks very much indeed to Scott Redding and Chas Davis, the Aruba Ducati riders, and Carl Fogarty, the former world champion and Mr. World Superbike himself. And of course, as we said there, king of the jungle when he saw off Edwina Curry and other such celebrities back in, uh, when was it? 2013, I think. Quick shout out, by the way, for Danny Webb. He had a good weekend in World Super Sport. Of course, don't forget the Super Sport classes have two races now. Danny Webb picked up more points with the Weepole Racing Team. And don't forget James Toesland, the youngest ever World Superbike champion and twice a title holder, 19, uh, sorry, not 19, 2004 and 2007. Uh, he's working alongside Danny Webb. And uh, he really is right there. It's grassroots stuff almost. James Toesland doing the pit board and really getting down and dirty there in the garage. Just, he works with Danny Webb who's having to adapt his style back from road racing and endurance racing to short circuit racing with World Supersport. And we shouldn't end the podcast either without a mention of the 2017 British Moto Star champion, Tom Booth Amos. What a superb weekend for him. He leads the Supersport 300 World Championship. Two podiums. One of them was given to him because somebody else was penalized, but a podium is a podium. And he's the absolute master. He's the new Bruno Uracci of Supersport 300 in charging through the field. So if you can start further up, it could be even better. And you have to think Tom Booth Amos is a very strong contender to be the first non-Spanish world champion in Supersport 300. We've had three seasons of it so far, and the champions have been Mark Garcia, Ana Carrasco, and Manuel Gonzalez. So it would be great, actually, wouldn't it, to see an up-and-coming British rider? And you have to feel Tom's really loving it at the moment, his new lifestyle he had a tricky year in the Moto3 World Championship last year, but he's definitely matured as a rider and a person, I think. And it's really paying off now in Supersport 300. So congratulations to Tom Amos, who leads that championship heading into Portimao in Portugal this weekend. And of course, we will be live on Eurosport and the Eurosport player with Friday free practice, Saturday qualifying, Saturday races, and of course, the main race day on Sunday. And it's not just World Superbikes, because as Foggy said there, British Superbikes, finally, is back in action as well. Behind closed doors, as everything else is at the moment, and that'll be at Donington Park. Is the pressure on Josh Brooks? Well, he's certainly the favourite, but he's also one of the smartest, if not the smartest guy out there on the Bennett's British Superbike Championship grid. So watch out for him. Let's see what Tommy Bridewell can do. The man who Foggy would like to see win the title. And then, of course, you've got Danny Buchan on a Kawasaki. Lee Jackson actually topped the recent test at Donington Park. So... Can any of that pace transfer to the race weekend or was it just one of those standout test performances? We're going to find out sooner rather than later. We'll have to see what the Yamahas can do with Tara McKenzie and Jason. The Halloran both up to full fitness now and the Hondas are looking particularly good with their new bike this season. So we'll see what happens there. Sadly, though, I'm afraid we need to end the podcast once again on a sad note. And this really is proving to be a rubbish year, isn't it? At least we're getting some good racing. But in terms of this being an overall year, we are not going to look back on 2020. We're the fondest of memories, are we, to be honest? And uh, I'm afraid this time we have to report the passing of a fellow broadcaster of ours here at Eurosport, Clive McNeil, at just 67 years of age. We had the news coming through over the weekend while the Hereth round was happening that Clive lost his life in a motorcycle accident in the early hours of Friday morning. He resided on the Isle of Man and the accident happened at... Uh, Hillbury Corner, actually, on the TT course. And Clive, known as a, a very popular man in the world endurance paddock in particular. I've been chatting over the last few days with people like Tom Gaymore and Julian Ryder, uh, Terry Reimer, Barry Nutley, all commentary colleagues of ours who uh, have worked closely with Clive 
over the years. And he was best known over recent years here on Eurosport for his world endurance commentaries on the Suzuka eight hours and other events like that. He's also commentated uh, for the world feed for Dorna's world feed on the world superbike championship. Last did that back in 2014 alongside Steve Martin fitting in for Jonathan Green on the occasions when Jonathan was unable to do world superbikes. But Clive McNeil joined Eurosport as long ago as 1996 and a real character served much of his life in the Royal Air Force and he's presented TV programs all over the place in Hong Kong, the Falklands and New Zealand and broadcast countless bike and car racing events, whether it was World Superbikes or World Endurance, V8 Supercars and others. And even in 1995, Clive actually contested the Macau Grand Prix as a competitor in the motorcycle race there. Perhaps his greatest passion above all else was music, and in particular, electronic music. And he was a renowned nightclub DJ, DJ Razor Race, no lesser man than DJ Razor Race. And he traveled for 12 years to discotheques all over the place, Scandinavia, and in particular, in the Middle East and the Far East. And he actually was the resident DJ of a hotel in Doha, Qatar for four months at one time. So he did a four-month stint out in Doha. And I know this has come as a real shock to many of our colleagues within Eurosport. Obviously, our condolences go out from everybody here on the Full Throttle podcast team and at Eurosport and Discovery in general to the family, of course, above all, and the friends of Clive McNeil after that terrible news that we had coming through on Friday. So appalling news about Clive. I'm sure, though, he would have absolutely loved the racing we saw in Jerez last weekend, and I'm sure he would have loved the action we're going to have this weekend with a real motorcycle full weekend coming up. We've got Moto America over in the States. We've got the Czech Grand Prix at Bruno, and there will be highlights of that on the Quest channel next week. And of course, on Eurosport Player and the Eurosport TV channel itself, we will have the British Superbike Championship starting at Donington Park and the resumption of World Superbikes round three from Portimao in Portugal. Many thanks for listening. Thanks again to Scott Redding, Chas Davis, and Carl Fogarty, today's guests. Many thanks also from me, Greg Haynes. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. The Full Throttle podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, also on Spotify, the Eurosport website, and all other good podcast suppliers as well. Thanks for listening, but we must end today's podcast as we remember the life and the achievements of our colleague and our friend for many people at Eurosport. Clive McNeil. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.